Welcome to season four of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life into your service, family, and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to take this opportunity to invest in you. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I am so glad that you are joining me for this episode as we are nearing the end of season four. So if you are just listening to me for the first time, I take a sabbatical every winter um, to give me a chance to kind of rest and not have to put out so much content and prepare myself for the next year. So if you are just now listening, this season is going to wrap up at the end of this month of October. While I am on this sabbatical and taking this rest, um, we are going to be putting out on my Facebook page, we're going to be putting out some of the top podcasts that everybody has told me is their favorite. So these are the ones that have the most downloads or the ones that people have specifically reached out to me and said, hey, where is that particular podcast? I want to hear it again. So you're going to still hear from me during the sabbatical, but I'm really going to use that time to kind of resurrect some of those podcasts so that you can hear them again or benefit from them again. Now, I want to put a caveat out there that my podcasting skills, I think, hopefully have grown over the years and it's gotten better and better. So you're going to see as you listen back to previous episodes that um, I've played with different kinds of music. I even played with sponsorship here or there and tried that out. Um, trying out different mics. I mean, you name it. It has been a a learning process and one that I've actually really enjoyed. And hopefully you're going to take this time during the holidays. Um, It's a great time to hit that pause button and kind of refocus. You know, we often get into January and we go, okay, what's my goal for the next year going to be? And then we're sitting there with a blank piece of paper going, I have no idea what I want it to be. And I'm just wondering, you know, what would it be like for you to join me for the next two months for November and December to um, be thoughtful and thinking about your next year and take those two months to think about what kind of growth you want to see in yourself or whatever you're putting your energy into for next year. You know, our intentions for next year might look a whole lot different if we actually took two months to think about it, pray about it, and process it before we get to that piece of paper and we're writing down our goals for the year. So just something to throw out there for you guys. With that in mind, I can give you a little bit of a teaser for season five and let you know that season five is going to be a time where I'm going to narrow my focus even more. But my goal for season five is to take an entire season five and the year of content that I push out for next year and really, really, really focus on um, topics that are very specific to your marriage. So we're going to be talking about all kinds of things. I haven't decided all the topics yet, but you can anticipate things like communication and handling that conflict and how the service lifestyle affects your marriage. And if we do talk about some of these kind of outer ring topics like parenting or things that affect our family, I will address some of those, but I really want to make sure I'm always tying it back to how does that impact your relationship? Because I believe 
that um, other than your faith in God, um, we really find our soul's rest in our relationship and in our marriage. And it's not just about saving your marriage. It's about saving your family tree, affecting your family tree, teaching your children that with hard work, with um, empathy, with honesty, with um, good skills that we develop in our relationships, that they also have a future for healthy relationships as well. And keeping families intact is crucial to all of our well-being, but especially our children and their understanding of themselves and their place in the world. And so it's just something that I'm very, very passionate about. So that is why season five is going to narrow that focus even more. And I would love to hear from you guys on your ideas. What are some of the topics, especially as it relates to the service lifestyle, that you are not hearing or getting uh, about your marriage and what you'd like for me to cover? Um, if there is a guest that you would like for me to interview, doesn't matter how big that guest is, I will do a reach out. You know, I'm not afraid of somebody saying no. So give me um, some ideas of people that you want to hear from, and I will definitely do the invitation and see what happens. So, all right, let's talk about today's episode. It is um, on a topic that also, very much like the addiction episodes that I did earlier this season, um, it's one of those topics that should have been done a long time ago, and I don't know why I didn't do it, other than I do have a YouTube video where I very quickly, a few years ago, did um, a quick discussion on how to navigate counseling using your military benefits. But I have not really covered um, some of the more practical things of getting counseling, things like how do you know when to get a counselor? Um, how do you know the different kinds of counseling that you can get, the different kinds of counselors that you can reach out to? Um, what do you do if counseling is really not going the direction that you expected that it would go? How do you do a search for whatever issues that you are um, trying to go and get help for? How do you know how to search if that counselor is capable and competent to help you with that issue? So all of those things impact your desire and your ability to kind of pull that trigger and actually go and get help when you need it. So I really want today's episode to dive into those practical steps, give you those things to think about as you're kind of deciding for your own life right now. Is counseling the um, thing that you're needing right now? Is it something that's missing in your life? Is it something that you could go and do? Maybe I can take the stigma out of it just a little bit, maybe help you be less afraid and willing to take that risk um, and maybe even give you a few things to think about. Now, before I jump into all of that, I also want to give you another big reason why I felt like this was important. If you have been following me on social media and some of these other places, you probably have seen me launch this year the Life Giver Clinician Directory, which is something I am so, so excited about. Um, if you've not seen it, it's something I'm also very proud of. It is the Life Giver Clinician Directory. You can find it on life-giver.org, which is the main website where you're going to find the podcast and other content. Um, but it is the main home of the directory. So I want to tell you very quickly about it because it's really going to impact um, what we talk about today. I created a directory of clinicians. Um, it's a searchable directory where you can find a clinician that is in your area um, by using a map or you can type in a search field, um, but you can find somebody in your area that is not only culturally competent for the service lifestyle, but it may also be somebody who is a military spouse, a veteran, a first responder spouse that is actually that clinician. So let me take you back just a little bit and explain why I wanted to create this directory and why this is such an exciting um, announcement this year for the directory to launch. 
I get people all the time that email me not only questions about should I get counseling and how do I find that counselor, but I hear from people all the time that, that say, I don't know how to find that counselor and I don't know what I'm looking for. And what they're wanting is to find somebody who understands the military or first responder lifestyle because most of the stories that I hear, they either, I hear things like um, they were moving too slow or they were just nodding their head and not talking back or they weren't giving us any insight into what might be going wrong in our relationship. Um, I also hear that the clinician was so curious and excited about the serving spouse and their job that the supporting spouse felt invisible. Um, I've also heard that the supporting spouse um, was told that they were the ones that were the problem because surely the serving spouse is doing everything that they could possibly be doing. And so, and plus they're, you know, they're the firefighter, they're the service member, so give them a break. I mean, I've heard all kinds of stories and it just breaks my heart every time. But what they're asking for is for clinicians to understand their lifestyle enough that it bridges that gap a little bit and they move forward in counseling a little faster, develop those relationships a little faster, and get to the root of things faster. And that's one of the things that I know about service families. We as military spouses even are known to make relationships and friendships very quickly out of survival, desperation sometimes. Um, and we just kind of get into the habit of trusting people quickly with common values. Um, and if you're in the military, we assume that those values um, are there and we're going to make that connection fast. Now, on the flip side of that, I know that the I know because I am one of those clinicians that one of the things that we are always trying to do is make sure that if we are culturally competent, that service families actually know that we're out there and we exist. When I was working in a group practice in um, Savannah, Georgia, it was actually Hinesville, but it was right outside of Fort Stewart. I had a six-month waiting list. Um, of clients trying to see me, but most of them were military spouses because word had gotten out that I was also a military spouse. Now, that doesn't mean that civilian clinicians out there can't be culturally competent and be just as able to work with you as a military spouse. But as a, as a military spouse clinician, it's really helpful to be able to market yourself or even as just any clinician, being able to market yourself so that if you are passionate about serving the service culture, you want to be able to make sure that you can be found. And so... Add to that those that are military spouses and first responder spouses and veterans um, that need that ability to reach you and find you and kind of market out to you to let you know that, hey, we're here. Um, that works for both sides and you both need that. Service families need an easy way to find you, search for you, um, whether they're searching for insurance, whether or not you take insurance or that you're competent or even looking for a faith-based clinician. Um, but also the clinician side, being able to say, hey, I definitely am passionate. I'd love for you to come see me. I'd love for you to um, reach out to me and, and work with me. And so the directory gives families the ability to search things like TRICARE, search for um, PTSD if that's an issue that they're struggling with, or marriage. Um, they can even search for specifically military spouse clinicians, first responder clinicians, veteran clinicians, looking for faith-based clinicians. So it's a fantastic tool that is a map that you can either zoom in on your location and see who's located in your area, clinicians that are located in your area. Or you can actually use the search box to actually put in some of those tags and find a very specific counselor that's willing to work with you. Now, the other exciting feature is the fact that we have so many clinicians, including myself, that are doing now telemental health. And let me explain what that is, because this goes with our topic today. 
Telemental Health is my ability as a clinician to provide online counseling to the entire state that I have a license in. So that means if I have a Virginia license, which I do, I can actually provide counseling online using some kind of platform that is encrypted and is HIPAA compliant, which is up to your clinician to work out those details. But I can actually online with you virtually do counseling sessions with you as long as you're a good fit, meaning there's no huge crisis or um, medical situation where you need to be seen face to face. But for most issues, we can actually do this online, which opens up your options even more. But you can also search on the Life Giver directory for a telemental health provider for your state. So if you are in South Texas, you can still see a clinician that is in North Texas online and you don't necessarily have to travel. The benefit to that also, which I have found to be extremely productive and and it works, it's so effective. I've seen no difference in the success of clients and couples. I've seen no difference between working online versus seeing them face-to-face. I've seen huge growth and, um, and honestly, I think a lot of our families are used to online communication because of deployments and TDYs and all of those um, separations that we go through. So it's not um, far-reaching in our minds to imagine that we can do an online counseling session. So I'm so the directory also gives you um, the ability to search for telemental health clinicians that are in your state. I have an entirely different list that's just telemental health if that's where you want to search. So the last part of this directory that I'm also excited about is that organizations like Blue Star Family, the Chris Cal Frog Foundation, Military Spouse Advocacy Network, and so many more um, are also excited about this directory because for them, they have this great programming. For example, let's use Military Spouse Advocacy Network because I'm actually going to be interviewing Vernice in the next episode to close out our season. And she's going to bring to us an amazing interview on mentoring and the power of mentoring. Um, MSAN, which is her organization, provides mentoring to brand new military spouses so they don't walk into this lifestyle feeling completely um, thrown off and surprised by everything that the culture, how the culture is different from the civilian culture. And she does this through mentoring. Um, Their programmings do a fantastic job of bringing in those new spouses, but there's going to be times that their new spouses and the people that they're working with are going to need mental health care. They might need counseling and they're really not doing well adjusting to the lifestyle and her volunteers, her mentors may not be um, capable or trained in how to deal with somebody who's dealing with severe anxiety or depression or just really needs that extra support from a clinician. Well, Military Spouse Advocacy Network. Network is partnering with a life giver directory to point to that directory, to point their mentors to that directory to say, if one of our people needs that extra help, we now have this tool through the life giver directory to help us find those clinicians because their programming is not built to do what clinicians are doing. And, and so these organizations need that directory just as much as you do and just as much as the clinicians need it. So I'm super excited and I'm so proud of it too. I hope you guys will go to life-giver.org and take a look at it. Um, I think it's beautiful. And thanks to a grant from Healing Household 6, which actually serves veterans and their families, um, they helped give me a grant to make this possible and make it even better. And so I'm so thankful to Healing Household 6 for that. So um, that being said, that is the reason why I'm diving into this topic even deeper, because I want to make sure you know what you're looking for and knowing how to handle counseling sessions 
um, and the counseling process as well. So even if you don't think that you need counseling right now, please take a listen to this because there's so many people out there that you're going to come across are going to have these questions. Um, so many teenagers and kids out there that need counseling that um, you'll know how to give them this information as well. And it's really going to be something that if you are knowledgeable about it, you have the, uh, the influence and the power to help so many people. So we're going to dive in. There are so many like lists and like three things here and three things there that I'm going to be walking you through today. But um, I might move a little bit fast with it, but it's only because I really want to make sure that you have all the information that you need as you navigate counseling. So I think where I want us to start is how do you know if you need counseling? This is a big question that I get a lot, and um, there's a variety of answers depending on what's going on in your life, but I kind of tried to narrow it down to some, um, some red flags that you can specifically look for in your life and someone else's to let you know that um, maybe counseling is the next step. Um, number one, how would you know if you needed counseling or if maybe your child needs counseling, your spouse might need counseling? Um, number one, have you done all you know to do? And I think this is a great question for you to even ask your child or your spouse or your friend when you see them struggling. It can be one of the first questions you ask yourself and those that you're concerned about. Have you done all that you know how to do? Have you tried self-care? Have you tried reading those books that someone recommended? Have you tried to use the coping skills that should be working to alleviate that anxiety or lifting that depression? Um, have you been trying all the communication skills that you've been taught and you've just hit the end of your own strength and your own ability to know how to handle the situation? If you find, if you find yourself stuck or maybe you see your spouse stuck and you ask them that question, Have you? do you feel like you've done everything you know how to do? Are you kind of at that place where you're like, I'm not even really sure what my next step is because I've tried everything I know how to try? That's a good red flag that says, you know what, maybe you need that help. It may only be one session. It may be three. It could be 20. The point is, is that having that outside neutral person that says, um, hey, you know, you've tried all of these things and that's awesome. I'm so glad you know how to do those things. Let's try this one over here. This one you haven't tried yet. Or maybe this is why you've tried all these things, but they didn't work because you were missing this piece here. You haven't processed this big issue over here. That's the, the benefit and what's great about counseling. It really is a neutral person that can look into your life and say, um, you know, I see something over here that maybe you can't see. Let's talk about that. All right, number two, how do you know if you need to go get counseling? You um, don't know where to start. So oftentimes, it's not about the fact that you you know, are trying everything you, you've learned and you don't know what to do next. Sometimes we just don't even know where to start. A new crisis, a new thing has happened in our life, and we've never been there before, and we don't even know how to start. So for example, maybe you've lost a grandparent or lost someone close to you, and you've never been through grief before, and all of these waves of grief is so new to you that it's foreign, and you don't know how to do it right. Um, that's a good sign. Like Go and get help with somebody who's trained on the all those stages and know what to expect so that you're not blindsided by everything. Maybe you've had your first baby. That is a doozy, right? We think that we're going to have so much control and then we have a baby and then we realize this is definitely not something that I can control and, and I have all these hormones and feelings all over the place and this is new to me. 
Um, you maybe have heard me share this before in previous seasons, but I struggle with postpartum depression when I had my second child and I had never gone through that before. So going to my practitioner, getting some medication um, to be able to go, I don't even know how to navigate this. And thankfully, something like postpartum was I was able to handle that with that medication to take the edge off and I didn't necessarily need counseling, but that would have been the next step if the medicine was not working, which takes us back to that first question, right? If I had if I, if I had done everything I knew how to do, I took I had taken the medicine that was recommended, that's not working. I'm journaling, I'm doing all these other things, it's still not working, then hey, I need to go see a counselor who can monitor my progress and let me know what I'm missing. So number one, you've done everything you know how to do. Number two, you don't even know where to start because it's a new thing and it's really um, hitting you so hard you're not sure what to do next. Um, This would also be a crisis, by the way, a fair recovery. Um, There's betrayal in your marriage, um, big things like that where it's new territory. Number three, um, you feel stuck waiting for someone else. Okay, so this means you've done everything. Let's let's apply this to marriage. You've done everything that you know how to do and you are doing everything that maybe a previous counselor told you to do, but now your spouse is refusing to move. So I get a lot of questions sometimes from people that say, what if my marriage feels one-sided? What if I feel like I'm doing all this work, but my spouse just won't move or budge or grow with me? That is a good time for you to go into counseling because you only have control over yourself and it's going to be um, really difficult to navigate those steps in your marriage um, when you're going to find yourself very frustrated and not knowing what to do. And, and you run the risk of becoming really aggressive, getting angry and resentful, and maybe handling a lot of the situations in your marriage the wrong way without the support of a counselor that's helping you navigate through your feelings of your spouse not doing the work with you. They will help you with boundaries. They will help you um, figure out um, how much of this is, even for some people, abusive. Um, I get the question, if he's not willing to budge, does that mean my marriage is over? That's a question that you're talking with your counselor about where you can really dive into that topic and figure out, is this a healthy marriage to begin with and something that you can save? And how do you save a marriage if you're the one that's doing all the work? Sometimes it's about having a neutral perspective of somebody to go, actually, they are working. You're just not seeing the things that they're doing. So having that neutral person can really help you too. The fourth and final one of that at least I wrote down of how would you know if you need counseling is definitely if there's a crisis situation. Now, this is where people get confused too. If you are thinking of harming yourself or harming someone else, um, if it's an emergency type of situation, even if it's more urgent that you think you might be having feelings of hurting yourself or hurting someone else, we would always encourage you to call 911 because counselors are not necessarily urgent care and they're not for emergencies. Um, We are not able to necessarily save your life or get that notice or that email or that call in a timely manner to save your life if you're thinking about hurting yourself. So we would always encourage you to call 911 and get stable in that immediate crisis so that we can come in and and provide some urgent level of um, crisis intervention, but really after you've already come down and are a lot more stable of a place. So 
Um, if you're really in a crisis and, and it's an emergency, go to 911, go to the police, um, take care of that. But if you, um, if it's not urgent, if it's not an emergency, then and you're experiencing a crisis such as an affair um, or something where things have fallen apart, something's going on with your child, there's a medical scare going on, those kinds of things where you're in crisis, having that person to help you process through that crisis can be so, so helpful. Because um, here's the thing, guys, going to a counselor and having an entire hour to just talk about your self is so cathartic. If you have not tried it, it's wonderful. Um, I've gone to counselors. I've gone to lots of counselors. Um, I partly do it because I enjoy it and I and counselors need counselors too. Sometimes I do it out of curiosity because I want to know what someone else is doing and, and if it's effective and maybe there's something I can learn. Um, but sometimes it's just because I help so many people. I just need to go to a counselor's office and talk about myself for just a little while. And it's great. And I have this running joke that sometimes I go into a counselor's office and I say, hey, here's the deal. I just need a solid hour to not only talk about myself, but maybe even say a few cuss words and things that I'm not, I shouldn't be saying in the world or in front of my children and it not come back on me. So go for a cup of coffee, build TRICARE, whatever you have to do and give me that hour. It doesn't even matter if you're in the room sometimes. Um, and of course, that's a joke that I say, but um, but it really is cathartic to be able to have that time to decompress because that's what it is. It's a decompression and it's getting that neutral perspective. So hopefully those four things help you at least decide, is now a good time for you to go and get counseling? Okay, let's move on to the next part of this because I know for a lot of you, Yes, you know you need counseling, but the question is, how do I get it and where do I start? Because finances are an issue, and I totally get that. Um, there are um, This is where it gets a little bit more challenging because um, I can tell you from a provider perspective, insurance companies do not pay very much. Um, they and, and then if that clinician is working in a group practice, then the overhead for them to be in that group practice, they lose even more per hour. And so really, if you find a really great clinician that um, is working in a group practice and taking insurance, you can better believe that they have the biggest heart in the world because they are definitely not... I'm getting a whole lot in their pocket for helping those that are coming in. They are making very minimal amounts per hour to serve. So um, I totally understand that that is, a, that is a huge factor in this of what you can afford. So different kinds of counselors, and this confuses almost everybody. And I so I think I'm going to start with a psychiatrist because sometimes people confuse counselors or therapists with psychiatrists. Psychiatrists are doctors. They have gone through medical school, but their um, their ending track, their specialty in medical school, is the brain, neurology, is pharmaceuticals, um, and they are looking at um, mental disorders from a medical standpoint. And so, a psychiatrist is the only clinician, mental health clinician, that can prescribe medicine other than your regular doctor. So yes, you can go to your regular doctor and tell them that you have anxiety and they can give you Xanax, they can give you um, Wellbutrin, they can give you all these different things and so can a psychiatrist. A lot of psychiatrists are going to have a caseload 
of um, severe psychosis. So things like schizophrenia, um, severe bipolar, where they're working on the right cocktail of medicines to help um, the brain actually function properly um, in the way that it translates in their personality and in their behavior. So psychiatrists are definitely great for if you need an evaluation and you need um, to figure out what that cocktail needs to be. And a psychiatrist will monitor that cocktail of medicines to make sure that you are stabilizing. But it's very good for you to have a counselor that works alongside with that psychiatrist that is monitoring that behavior, monitoring how you are doing and doing that talk therapy too. And then if they see something that comes up or it seems like that cocktail medication is not working properly, they can encourage you to go back to your psychiatrist and deliver um, this information that can kind of help tweak things here or there and help you craft your wording. So a psychiatrist tends to have appointments that are shorter. They're, they're, it's very rare to find a psychiatrist that is doing talk therapy as well. So if you happen to find somebody that does both of those together, that's really outstanding. You don't see that very often. The next level would be a psychologist. A psychologist has a doctorate or a PhD. Typically, and you can be, have lots of different kinds of psychologists. There is a clinical psychologist. There is a clinical research psychologist. There's an organizational psychologist. There's lots of different tracks you can go in your PhD. Um, most of the time in the mental health field, you're going to see psychologists doing assessments. So let's say your child, you're looking at getting them um, assessed for ADHD, hyper um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or um, maybe you are needing an assessment um, for a, a much more specific assessment on depression, um, where they're actually giving you those assessments, and then they're reading those assessments, and then they're writing reports on it. Um, and then they might give those reports to the psychiatrist, or they might um, be able to give that report to the counselor. So um, your psychologist is going to be a PhD level assessing type of therapist and there are more psychologists than psychiatrists that are going to do perhaps talk therapy. So it is sometimes you can find that psychologist that also will do your sessions as well. So um, not all the time. Sometimes they're just assessments and other times they're doing both. But that's what a psychologist does. Now, a counselor or therapist um, is someone who is not prescribing medication. They can do some assessments, but the bigger assessments that need to be required by a psychologist, um, they're not going to be able to do those. But um, basic assessments on whether or not you have um, symptoms of PTSD or assessing whether or not you have the basic symptoms of depression, anxiety, um, those kinds of things, they definitely can assess that using what we call the DSM-5, which is our main book for diagnosable disorders. Um, that's what they're going to be doing and managing from there. But if there's something that is outside their expertise, they're going to send you to that psychologist or to that psychiatrist. So I will tell all the military families that are listening out there that if you are using TRICARE, um, this may be true as well with other insurance companies, but definitely for TRICARE. Um, you do not need a referral from your primary physician for you to go get counseling with a therapist. If you are wanting an evaluation or an assessment from a psychologist like ADHD or to go to a psychiatrist that is a medical doctor, you will need that referral. So again, you will need that referral for a psychologist evaluation 
or a psychiatrist, but not for basic counseling. That you can make an appointment, um, sign up to go and get started, and that clinician should be able to bill your insurance for you without the referral. So hopefully that breaks that down. And of course, as a counselor or therapist, you're going to see several different kinds. You're going to see Um, I am an LPC, that's a licensed professional counselor. Most of my education was in the clinical practice and the skills of counseling. Um, So I chose the LPC route. There's also the LMFT or the Licensed Marriage and Family Therapists. Most of their master's degree, they had more classes on marriage and family. So whereas I had maybe two classes on marriage and family, which is funny because I ended up going straight marriage, right? Um, They had a few more classes on marriage and family. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I, I want to say that um, their CEUs that they need to get each year might need to have some extra focus on marriage. And then you have LCSWs or Licensed Clinical Social Workers. Um, their education and their master's degree focused on the importance of this the community and community resources, that it's not just about those that need the help in the counseling office, but how do you connect, with, connect them with the resources in the community? And the community is there to support that person instead of that person depending on the counseling practice one-on-one. Um, so all of them can do counseling. All of them can give a diagnosis. All of them can do talk therapy or any number of things depending on how they um, narrow their niche. Um, it's just a matter of what they specialize in their master's degree. So if you are looking for a counselor that wants to work with marriage, or if you're looking for a counselor for your marriage, you could go to an LPC, an LMFW, an LCSW. Any of those are, the, are fine. They're all going to be able to do some type of therapy or treatment with you. Um, they just have different acronyms. On, on their the last name. So um, should be pretty easy as long as they have a license, honestly, um, and you do the proper research, which I'm going to talk with you about how and what to look for. You should be good to go knowing those differences. Okay, so that kind of breaks down the, I told you it was going to be a lot of information. So hopefully this is helping some of you guys out there who've been wondering. Um, okay, so now I'm going to talk about other than um other than the mental health field of therapists and workers, who else is out there to give you counseling? So, um, and, the, and the different kinds. So I want to kind of add to those, the military side of things. Actually, let me start with first responders because unfortunately you guys don't have quite as much as the military has. Um, so if you're a first responder, in addition, you might have a chaplain that is assigned to your district. You um, And they may or may not have a license, but they've definitely been trained or ordained or maybe they're certified in um, critical stress incident debriefings. Um, there's often chaplains that are available for that or, or therapists in the area that sign up to do that when something big has happened and, and they're coming in to help you through a crisis. Um, I think the first thing that came to my head was 9-11. Um, we had a flood of even the Red Cross sent a lot of mental health professionals to New York to do critical incident stress debriefings. Some of those were chaplains, some of those were mental health clinicians, but they'd all been certified and trained to to handle crisis and to debrief. And so you might have chaplains that are available to you. You also have EAP, um, Employer Assistance Program, I think is how you break that down. And that is basically just saying that your employer has provided a number of sessions for you if you need counseling, and they may or may not ask you to report back how you're doing and how those counseling sessions are helping. Of course, the main goal here is for you to function at your best 
at your job site. And so I can't tell you for sure it's something worth you checking in on of what is the level of confidentiality if you use your EAP benefits. Um, So double check on that, but that's definitely a resource if you need it. Okay, so for military, we do have chaplains as well. Not all of our chaplains are trained in counseling. Um, Most of them are trained in some form of pastoral counseling. Um, But there are a lot of chaplains out there. A good friend of uh, a good friend of ours, um, Chaplain Hamrick, Matthew Hamrick, he's actually in Germany. His wife, Jennifer, is a good friend of mine and is actually has onboarded with me at LifeGiver to um, help with the next year. I'm super excited about her joining me. But he is a chaplain who has gone the counseling route and is getting that license. And so has really not only fallen in love with counseling, but is also certified in EMDR, which we're going to cover here in just a minute. So there are chaplains out there that are either licensed or going for their licenses or really passionate about counseling who are very competent to handle whatever it is that's coming your way. I will tell you that military chaplains have a level of confidentiality that even I don't have as a counselor. So it's kind of, it's that priestly confidentiality, which basically means even if somebody tells them that they're thinking of hurting themselves um, or hurting someone else, they don't have to report that, whereas I do. I have to report abuse and neglect, whereas chaplains hold that priestly confidentiality and they don't even, they can't even break that unless they would encourage that soldier or that person that's seeing them that it is in their best interest that they tell the right people. And that's what a lot of chaplains will do. They won't report it, but they'll make sure that that person gets to a safe place and that they help make that decision for themselves. Um, they can, they also have a process. I don't want that to scare you. They also have a process that they're very well trained in on um, how to deal with suicide, how to help somebody, um, even if they need to be involuntarily committed. So there's ways with that, but I just wanted you to know that there is a difference in confidentiality between chaplains and mental health professionals. Um, Also in the military is behavioral health. Unfortunately, that is not available to family members. That is only available to the service member for the most part, unless you're one of those lucky few that in the hospital on post, um, your doctor can send you to behavioral health. They can always send you and commit you, um, or if there is that emergency you're thinking of hurting yourself, they can commit you to... um, into the hospital until you are safe for yourself and for other people. But the general behavioral health to get therapy is reserved mostly for those serving, those service spouses, those service members. So you're going to have a difficult time getting into behavioral health. MFLACs, which are military family life counselors, are licensed professionals. They're those LCSWs, the LPCs that we were talking about. I know there's so many acronyms, but stick with me, guys. Um... Those military family life counselors are licensed, um, but they've been employed by um, an outside contractor, usually an insurance company, to provide counseling to your family and even your children. You've probably heard about them being embedded in the schools as well. So they're licensed counselors that can absolutely help you through almost anything. The main thing for them is that they cannot um, provide deeper treatment that's going to take more than probably six to eight sessions. So if you're dealing with major trauma, PTSD symptoms, um, you're needing to process childhood trauma, and you're going to need many sessions. Or if you have something that's diagnosable like bipolar, um, where you need medication management, all that, they're going to make a referral and ask you to go see a TRICARE provider Um, your doctor, a psychiatrist, something like that. So they're for your basic adjustment issues, the things that you're just kind of generally struggling with. 
And then obviously you have your insurance. And then of course you have private pay, which is an option. And going back to a lot of our counselors who really don't make a whole lot of money if they contract with insurance, you'll, you'd be surprised how many of them are actually choosing to not work with insurance companies anymore because the reimbursement rate is just so low. I'm sure you guys have gotten your, um, your information in the mail where you have gone to the doctor and you've seen that your doctor charged like this one fee and then the insurance company maybe paid them a fourth of that and said that that's all that they would pay. And so um, there's a lot of clinicians out there that are going the private pay route. And some of them are willing to give you super bills um, if they're non-network. So they're not in-network where they're um, directly reimbursed by the insurance company, but they are non-network and they can give you a bill where you pay for your counseling and then you turn that into your insurance company and the insurance company can reimburse you however much they deem is worth covering counseling and you'll get some of that money back and that should help as well. So that's kind of a middle ground um, between the counselor and the insurance company if you're looking for it. So that is, I know I'm covering so much here, guys, but I hope that some of you are taking notes and it's helping you understand some of this. Um, I wanted to walk you through one more thing that I think would be really helpful for you guys to know, which is the biggest question of how do I find somebody to work with me if I don't know um, what all these certifications are and how, how do I know what I'm looking for? So I want to kind of tell you what I do when I go to psychology today and I'm looking for a counselor. Um, hopefully I won't have to do that as much anymore because the Life Giver Clinician directory is going great and we have um, over 100 clinicians nationally who have joined the Life Giver Directory, most of them spouses, like military spouses, veterans, um, first responder spouses that are clinicians. Um, so I'm super excited. You won't have to dig quite as much to find those clinicians. At least that's my goal. But when I go and look for a clinician, this is what I'm looking for. And so I'm going to kind of walk you through what I do to find those referrals. Um, when I have somebody that is not a good fit for doing online counseling or online coaching, I'm going to do a search in their area and see if I can find somebody that um, can work with them. But I'm going to try to answer a few questions and weed out a few people before I just give them a referral to anybody. So here's a couple of things that I'm looking for. Number one, do they? If you're, if insurance is a factor, are they taking the insurance that you need? So if you go to the Life Giver directory, or if you do go to Psychology Today, that's you know maybe the first. Other than your zip code and your location, that's one of the first things that you're going to put in. Is do they take your insurance? If that's a big question that you have, and if it's that important to you, and that's going to filter out your results um, a little bit. At least give us a starting point. The next thing I'm going to look for is um, what is the main issue that you're coming for? Are you coming for marriage work? Are you coming for trauma and P PTSD? Are you wanting somebody that's looking to work with children? And so you might be able to filter those results even more and look for children and that sort of thing. If you're needing help with children, you can look for things like play therapy, like certified in play therapy, or do they see adolescents? If, if they, there's not a ton of clinicians out there that are willing to see adolescents and kids but if they are willing, they're definitely putting it up there. Um, I personally love to work with kids and teenagers. So if you have a teenager out there that wants coaching or that you feel like needs coaching, um, the Strength Finder is fantastic for teenagers to help. Not only you understand the style of parenting that might work best for them in their adolescence,
lessons, but also starting to help them shape their identity and realizing that they're really good at something. They just don't know where to plug that in yet. And through the strengths coaching, we can kind of help them start narrowing down the things that they really enjoy or the way in which they see the world. If they're very internal or intellectual or engineer minded and they're very much in their head, we're not going to necessarily put them in drama, right? Where they're being an extrovert and expressing tons of emotion. No, we're going to direct them towards these jobs that are more engineering-minded, math-minded, STEM-minded, and seeing how we can start exploring that, but also affirming their identity. So these clinicians are going to put out there that they enjoy and do work with adolescents if they actually do. Um, But if you're looking for marriage, sometimes they will put in their profile that they specifically work with marriage. Um, If they don't, you can always look for specifically a LMFT, like we said before, a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's usually kind of a go-to. That means that they started with a passion in marriage, and that's the license they've wanted to keep up. So you could probably think that that's a good bet, that that's probably going to be somebody who's specializing in marriage. Um, But when it comes to trauma, because we have a lot of people out there that might be struggling with PTSD or maybe don't have post-traumatic stress, but more so dealing with the things that they've been exposed in this lifestyle – you can look for thing. You can look for PTSD if you'd like to, but here are some of the treatments that are out there that are kind of more popular that you will find with clinicians who are certified and specializing in trauma work. There are things like trauma focused therapy, um, which is a specific a specific technique to help you work with that trauma. It's TFT, so you might see it as TFT. There is also prolonged exposure. That's a certification that I have. It really helps with those who have phobias um, and anxiety where they can't leave their house, um, where PTSD has gotten to a place where they're avoiding people groups, they're avoiding specific things like um, they're avoiding escalators, they're avoiding elevators, they're avoiding trains, they're avoiding... um, Everyday things that shouldn't be causing them that much anxiety. Prolonged exposure is great for that. Um, Specifically, it was designed for helping people out of the phobias that were created because of a specific trauma. So if someone was sexually assaulted, let's say in the grass, right? And then they're having trouble like even walking in the grass because their body is remembering that trauma. Prolonged exposure can help get them to a place where they can actually walk through the grass and not be triggered. So that's one of the reasons why I love prolonged exposure. Um, CBT is another one. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. It really helps you with your thinking and your cognitions and your belief statements of what you believe about yourself and the world um, because of that trauma and how that shaped you and how to kind of redesign those cognitions and those thoughts so that you are maybe not panicking or that you can handle situations that you weren't able to handle before. Um, EMDR is a huge one. And so if I'm working with somebody who's really struggling with trauma, EMDR is one of those that I'm definitely going to be looking for. Um, I recently went to a counselor while I was in South Carolina. And I'll be honest, um, what I did for myself is um, I really wanted some female mentoring in my counseling sessions. And so I actually looked and did a search for a Christian counseling center because that was important to me. And then you're going to think that this is funny, but I decided to find the what I felt like was the most experienced or oldest female clinician in that clinic because I felt like she would have the most life experience to mentor me through whatever it was that I was bringing into the office. 
So um, she also happened to be certified in EMDR. And I did a session with her with EMDR um, because I actually, she felt like it would be beneficial to me, but also because I really wanted to try it. And I didn't, I've been recommending it to people for years, but I didn't want to recommend it any longer if I had not tried it. So I won't break it all down here, but it's definitely not something for you to be scared of. The basics of EMDR um, is, and it's completely fascinating, and I can definitely say that it works, um, is that it's eye movement desensitization. So basically, um, they found through, it was kind of on accident, but basically found that as your eyes move back and forth in REM sleep, when we dream, our eyes move back and forth, your brain is processing what you have been exposed to and what happened during the day. And it's almost like a filing system. It's filing away what you went through and also catching your emotions up to that as well. So if you had a major argument with your spouse, let's say the night before, and you guys just did not solve it and you went to bed angry, let's say... Have you ever noticed that you wake up the next morning and you have a little bit clearer of a mind and maybe you've calmed down a little bit and maybe you even have a little bit of a solution for what was going on last night? That's part of that REM sleep. Your brain is filing away those emotions and those thoughts and kind of catching them up to each other. Well, with trauma, a lot of times, um, our emotions have not been able to catch up with our thinking. And so we find ourselves at various places in our life stuck where we feel like rationally, I know I should be able to walk on the grass or rationally, I feel like I should be much farther in my healing than this, but my emotions keep getting triggered as if I'm seven or 10 or 14 or whenever that happened. So my emotions feel stuck. So you can go into the office and you you do several sessions ahead of time to prepare yourself and you're journaling some things. Um, but there's several different ways. Sometimes there is a light bar that is going back and forth that helps you track with your eyes where you can be moving your eyes back and forth. Um, I was able to do the buzzers that go in my hands. It's like two quarter size little things that you hold in your hand and they just buzz back and forth. And that in the same way, kind of involuntarily makes your eyes kind of go back and forth and follow those movements. So you're in a sensory way, using your five senses, you're staying very much in the present. But the counselor actually asks your mind and your thinking to go back to that past um, thing that you're working on. So you're thinking in the past, but those multi-sensory buzzers or that light bar is keeping you in the present, which is fascinating when you think about it. Because most people with trauma... When they think about the past, they kind of go back to the past and get stuck there and they're having a hard time staying in the present. EMDR helps you be present in both places. And um, after one session or a few sessions working on that, it really does do an amazing job of helping you process and kind of catch up to um, your, catch your emotions up, your thinking, your um, conclusions about that. And it's really super powerful. So if somebody is thinking about trauma or wanting to work on trauma, I highly reckon, recommend EMDR, but you definitely would want to go to somebody who's actually certified to do it. So doing that search for EMDR, don't be scared of something like that. There's, It is an evidence-based tool and technique that is um, doing wonders, and there's lots of them out there that are doing great things, but EMDR is one of the big ones right now that you for sure, it's worth you focusing on. So I think other than that, um, definitely dive into those websites and see if do they have experience in the military or first responder world? Do they specifically say that um, that they're willing to work with a service culture? Usually, if I can find somebody who is experienced or certified to work with trauma, 
I can pretty much bet that they're probably okay working with a service lifestyle. So definitely worth you thinking about. All right, to close, as if you had not gotten enough information, to close, I want to give you a couple things to keep in mind. If counseling has not really been what you wanted it to be um, and what you can do if you get into the counseling office and um, you feel like you're wanting to make a change. So if it's not what you expected, um, number one, I would like for you to give your counselor a chance to adjust. Counselors are taught um, to use lots of different skills and they may have their own style, but that doesn't mean that they can't change their direction. Um, As a counselor, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you get from A to B. And if the way that I'm going is not comfortable to you or it's not working for you and it's not your style, then if you would just let me know that, I can totally adjust course. Um, There may be the rare occasion that I say it's not in your best interest for me to adjust course because you're in denial and we've really got to focus on this this way. So they'll be able to be honest with you and they should be able to handle that critique. If they're not, then I agree with you. They should be probably a counselor that is, you know, somebody that you're considering letting go. But just like if you were dating someone, it takes a few sessions to get to know someone, um, to see if they're a good fit. Um, And you should always give a relationship a chance to adjust if that's what you're needing to do. So give them adjust, give them a chance, give them some feedback if there's something different that you want. Almost all of them should be able to handle that. And if they can't, then that's a big red flag. Number two, be patient with those civilians. Those clinicians may not be moving as fast as you are, and it's also okay for you to let them know that. Let them know, hey, I tend to move a little faster or I need us to move a little faster and invite them into that. Give those civilians a chance. Educate them where they need to be educated. Catch them up to where you are, um, but give those civilians a chance and be patient with them as they are being patient with you. So try not to um, run away too soon unless they do something very strange, like one of my counselors who pulled out magnets and was running magnets down my back to work on the issue that had nothing to do with my back. Um, And that was like, okay, that's gone a little far for me, (laughs) not my style. So, uh, and the last one is um, own your own side if possible. So, um, Sometimes it's not your counselor that has the problem, it might be you. And that's something for you to take a look at. Um, are you being resistant to help? Is it, it maybe not that you don't like the counselor's style or the way that he or she did something, but it's more just because you're not ready to grow yet. You're not ready to make those changes. And so if that's you, it's really important for you to be mature enough to own that with your clinician and go, you know what, I've been really frustrated, but I realize it's not you entirely, it's me. Um, I'm afraid to take this risk. I'm afraid to grow. Um, And I've been saying counseling is bad when really it's just I'm not ready to move forward. And be honest with that. There's so much amazing growth that can happen when we're just honest. And that's why the Life Giver podcast specifically is about honest conversations because I find in that honesty that growth happens. So um, own your side if it's something that you need to take responsibility for, if it's something that you've brought that difficulty into the relationship. The counseling relationship is a relationship like many others, except for it's a confidential relationship where you are bringing your stuff to someone who has some level of expertise. And But it is still a relationship, and there is still that back and forth. So give them that chance. So I hope that all these tips have helped you and, and inspired you and encouraged you. I hope some of you will reach out to someone if you feel like you need the help. 
Um, I hope that you'll go and check out the Life Giver directory um, for your next counselor. And if there is a counselor that you have worked with that you really enjoyed and that you really loved, I know that I've reached out to the one that was at Fort Jackson. Um, reach out to that person. Let them know about the Life Giver directory. Send me an email with their name. I'll be happy to do a personal invite to make sure that they get on the map too. We really need to find those clinicians that are really outstanding. And I especially want those that are word of mouth. So I really want to know from those people that have had good experiences like you, that you want them included on the map in a way that would benefit another family. So I'm super excited to continue serving you. Reach out to me if you're interested in coaching um, or counseling, if it's in a state that I um, have a license in, which at this point is um, for sure Colorado, Virginia, and hopefully by next month, by the end of October, it'll be Texas too. And we can talk about counseling. Coaching is available as a separate service. It's a, it is a separate business of mine that is more solution-focused, less digging, no diagnosing, that sort of thing. Reach out to me if you're interested in that. Um, but otherwise, I hope that you took some notes in this session because I gave you a lot, and I hope that you were okay sticking with me through all of that. But hopefully it was helpful. So um, we have one more episode with Vernice coming up this month and one more Sunday special. And then we'll be closing out the season um, with a bang, I think. So it's been a great season. And otherwise, reach out and let me know how you guys are doing. Thanks for listening. And I will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or Life Giver, you can find more information at www.coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.